Pictures. I'm your host, Brent Gunn, and with me as always is Mitch. Mitch, how are you say hi? Hello, everyone. This is Mitchell Rafalka, news editor for Central Michigan Life, a longtime fan of Star Wars, and hearing myself talk. So today we have a little bit of a different setup. We have a couple guests on the program today. The first guest that we have is uh, Dave Clark. Dave, how about you introduce yourself and tell us what you do around here? Thank you for having me here, gentlemen. I'm the advisor for Central Michigan Life, also a lifelong Star Wars fan. So uh, excited to uh, to do battle here today. And we also have uh, Ben Solis. Ben, how about you introduce yourself? Hey, guys. How you doing? Thank you very much for having me. Uh, it's good to be back in the podcast land of Central Michigan Life. But, uh, yeah, we're here to talk some Star Wars. We're very happy. One of the uh, the authors of the podcast movement here at CMU, Mr. Mister Solis. The quite, or- quite the legend. The original raving geek. We We did some things. To talk about some things. Well, that's what we're going to do today, too. So basically, what we're talking about today is, you know, The Last Jedi is coming out very, very soon. And I want to make a case for the prequel trilogy. Because too often, I feel like the prequels are given a really, really uh, unfair amount of flack. And the three guests today are essentially going to tell me I'm wrong. They're going to really argue uh, how incorrect I am, as most people probably would. But I think there's a lot of things to love about the prequels. There are some things to, obviously, like Jar Jar, like we can get that out of the way pretty quick. No, no plot, acting. <laughs> there's, there's actually a lot there. You're correct. Well, we're, we're going to get to all of this. Okay. So I want to start it off right off the bat with uh, kind of going around and asking everyone what their main issue with the prequel trilogy is and why they think the um, original trilogy really kind of like completely eclipses it. So Mitch... Starting with you. I guess the main thing is the only thing. It's complete. The movies are completely unnecessary. They're and they're kind of. And I think they almost betray what the original trilogy was about, which was meant to be kind of this, just very basic like hero's journey in space. Uh, um, it covers like all the tropes that um, people often associate with this story, but they it's recycled in a way. Um, and you, in a way that that was new for the time, and um, most importantly, using technology that was revolutionary at the time. And if you, I, don't, I heard the rumor. I, don't, I can't really like verify it, but like there was talk that George Lucas al- almost took um, inspiration from silent films when making the original the original trilogy. Seven you Samurai. Can, Seven Samurai, but also just you can look at the cinematography. There's a lot of very. Um, evocative visual imagery like uh, the most famous being the opening um scene from a new hope where um right off the bat you see um the plot gets set up exactly without any dialogue you see the rebel ship like tiny and small being chased by this enormous imperial starfighter um and just puts the entire thing into context without any need for dialogue any need for exposition and that kind of again visual imagery is throughout the original trilogy and it complements the story which is again a very basic story of good and evil there's a reason why even among uh, film scholars today star wars comes up constantly as like the definitive the most cut and dry basic perfect example of 
the hero's journey and this story of good and evil. But then you get to the prequels where they add this ham-fisted attempt at political I intrigue. They have scene after scene of exposition with just people walking and talking. They have, they try to give it some kind of, the story is some kind of historical context that's just completely unnecessary. There's, it's backstory that could have been fit into like a 30 minute short film, but they try to try to stretch it out into like three separate movies. And so that's my main gripe with the trilogy movies. All right, there's a lot of unpackaged there, but we're gonna keep moving. So Ben, uh, what, what about you? Well, I'm at a space in my life. Trilogies versus trilogy. So um, I was a longtime Star Wars fan, as a lot of people know, listen to podcasts before, but Raven Geeks, Malachi, talked about this at length. But uh, recently I had a chance to go and rewatch some of these movies. And while uh, I still agree that they are completely lackluster to the original trilogy, uh, daring, yeah, veering on bad almost, but you know, there's a lot to redeem itself inside that trilogy. Um, and I know that Brent will bring up some of those points, but I am still leaning toward more uh, hating on this trilogy completely. Uh, there's a lot of reasons, and you know, um, Mitch brought up a couple of good points. You know, those that original trilogy was so based on uh, the movies that George Lucas grew up with, uh, whether they be silent films, be it sci-fi pulp films like Buck Rogers. Uh, Buck Rogers had a huge influence, and then that's where that space opera thing comes from. So that is correct. I mean, set across that backdrop, that storyline that was in that original trilogy, um, you can't really match that. And you know, Lucas was going to have a hard time to match that no matter what he did, to be honest. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, the, the hunt for using great new technology kind of overshadowed George Lucas's vision of that original, or excuse me, the prequel trilogy. Um, almost everything that is done in that prequel trilogy is done to test uh, new technology, check, you know, test CGI even further. Um, there was a little touch of that in the uh, remastered original trilogy, um, kind of unnecessary CGI at so many different moments. There were so many moments in that prequel trilogy that just seemed to, like, you know, um, it was excessive in, in the amount of CGI that it threw at you uh, just to do it. Um, you know, the one thing about the, the setting of the original trilogy, um, it wasn't just there to be lush, it was there to build action, there to build a beat. And it just didn't seem like any of those prequel trilogies ever had anything that kind of built up to a beat. It was very plotting. You did get lost in all this political jargon and junk, as Mitch mentioned. Um, so yeah, I mean, it feels like it was always just there, just to, let's just do this. Let's do this because we can. Um, and that's what its biggest failing is, is that it just, it had no heart, it had no soul. It was trying to race to the, you know, the changing of Anakin Skywalker over to Darth Vader. Um, it was almost as if they had written that ending first and wrote everything backwards to it. Um, I don't know. And it, I, in my opinion now, it is in better hands. Um, I felt like George Lucas has always been his own worst enemy. Uh, that's why the best... Uh, So you, you you think you think that the uh, sequel trilogy is gonna be better than the prequel trilogy? Oh, but yeah, absolutely, it already is, um, and I'm sure you guys will talk about that later. Um, but that's my biggest gripe. My biggest gripe with that, you know, prequel trilogy is that it just is gratuitous. It's gratuitous in its presentation. It's uh, gratuitous in its plotting, and um, it's just kind of a means to an end, and that's what was really kind of. 
Last yeah. but not I, I, I agree with, uh, with most of what Ben had to say, except for the word veering. I don't think they were veering towards bad. I think they were straight up bad. Um, <laughs> and I would, I would also make the case that um, most of the Star Wars movies that George Lucas had direct input in are pretty bad on a, on a variety of levels. And, um, and that I do think that the saga is in better hands now, and, and we can certainly discuss that in, in more depth. But I come to this with a little bit different perspective, and uh, I just had a birthday here, and this is, this is pretty easy journalist math. Um, I've been a Star Wars fan for 40 years. I saw A New Hope in the theater when I was six years old. And so in a lot of ways, I think this is set up to sort of, you know, at least, you know, for me and my experience and certainly fans my age, a lot of this has been set up to just disappoint us after that initial amazing, you know, cinematic experience. And as, a, as someone who loves film, there's really just a handful of movies like that. I can remember being on this campus at CMU and driving through the night to catch the uh, midnight opening of Pulp Fiction. Yeah. That was one of those experiences. Uh, the, seeing Star Wars for the first time was one of those experiences. So you have those sort of seminal moments in, in your life as a, as a, a lover of, of cinema and, and film and great storytelling. And, um, and yeah, I, I have to say, um, as a fan of the movies, these movies, to a large degree, were a letdown. As a father, though of a 14-year-old son, it was really a cool experience to be able to see Star Wars through someone else's eyes. So that's kind of nice. Um, he is certainly much more, and I think you you do hear this from younger fans, um, they have a connection to the prequels and certainly the animated um, pieces of the Star Wars universe, like Clone Wars, yeah, Clone Wars. Um, that, that we don't have that connection with. Uh, but by and large, it is still really difficult for me to sit through those movies with any sort of enthusiasm because I know how they're going to end now and it's going to be Darth Vader standing there going no which was three movies of build up to that moment and then cut to the end and wow we're, we're, we're going to talk wow. about the no we're going to talk just about wow. the no later but is, is that are, are you good sure okay so all a lot of really strong opinions uh, Dave I think you have the most Con convincing story of anyone here. You have the most nostalgia for the series than anyone here. And I feel like the main reason why people dislike the prequel trilogy is because of that initial letdown that was Phantom Menace. If Phantom Menace had been a strong return and Attack of, Attack of the Clones and uh, Revenge of the Sith were virtually the same, I think the entire perception to the prequel trilogy would be different. I think that, that initial letdown of Jar Jar annoying young, young Anakin Skywalker. Sure. Some of the really kind of goofy moments, some of the really kind of boring moments in Phantom Menace. It, it's, it's my least favorite Star Wars. Sure. And, and let's, let's be honest here, too. The Phantom Menace was almost in an impossible position because it simply had to top Return of the Jedi, which is the worst by far of the three initial saga movies. I agree. And I would say, uh, you know, I've, I've got my list here. I ranked uh, the movies in order. And Return of the Jedi is way down the list for me. That is a that is a horrible, 
that is, that is more more than it is a movie. It is a series of missed opportunities in storytelling there from from the opening shot of that movie uh, until the uh, dancing Ewoks in the forest celebration. Um, and, you know, I think uh, one of the other things we, we don't always talk about, too, is the fact that that really became it was a letdown for certainly the fans of the the initial saga, that last movie. And then, insult to injury, before we get to Phantom Menace, we have the remastered, re-released, recut, you oh, know, yeah. supersized uh, uh, versions of the movie, which were also, in a lot of ways, really negative experiences for some of the fans. That's where we get, you know, Greedo shooting first, and we get um, some of these other sort of annoying additions to the... A lot of just changes that seemed really unnecessary, uh, especially in Return of the Jedi, the initial sand pit scene. The original, I think, is a lot more sure. uh, just intense rather than this huge kind of shell monster. Sure. It's kind of unnecessary changes. Um, so it had a lot to overcome, Phantom Menace, and unfortunately... The, the narrative wasn't there. They had There's a lot of things uh, that you can point to in that movie, just, again, missed opportunities, including, you know, Darth Maul, which is a great villain, mm-hmm. which was so underutilized in there. because He, dies. he just with, dies at the end. Yeah, and we had to what? go through all the narrative that, that Ben was just talking about of, uh, you know, what are midichlorians and, and all this exposition that was just really, like, that. that's the stuff that no Star Wars fan really wanted to know. Master, sir... I heard Yoda talking about midichlorians. I've been wondering, what are midichlorians? Midichlorians are a microscopic life form that resides within all living cells. They live inside me. Inside your cells, yes. See, I feel like the, the whole like uh, midichlorian thing, it's never something that really was like a straw that broke the camel's back for me, because for me, And I've done a bit more research over this past week into, like, kind of more lore of the saga. And um, one thing that I noticed that's this reoccurring theme throughout the entire saga is this idea of individuality and how the Jedi don't really have all of the answers and the Sith don't really have all of the answers. And the main point is Anakin feels really conflicted, uh, specifically in Episode 3, he feels very, very conflicted with this idea that he has to pick one or the other, but he realizes that the Jedi are very, very hypocritical because of Mace Windu and being able to, you know, if you take into account the loss of his mother, taking into account, he's still growing up. The power of the dark side is, you know, slowly kind of overtaking him. Palpatine's influence. I feel like Anakin's character development in the prequel trilogy is much more interesting than Luke's. I never thought Luke's character development was really all that interesting. He just became a better Jedi. Okay, like, granted, in, in, in Return of the Jedi, he did seem more kind of nuanced as a character, but it seemed a little too little too late. Ben, what's up? So it's interesting that, that you feel that, and I've talked to you about this a bunch of times too. Uh, arguably, Phantom Menace is the best of, of that prequel trilogy. And it gets, after the Phantom Menace, it just is like a downward death spiral. There's nothing going on in these movies. As Mitch mentioned, you're trying to stretch like one very short story over a very long period of time. Um, you know, the, the Phantom Menace gave us a lot. You know, it might not be a great movie. I think that's it can be argued. But um, you got one of the best lightsaber scenes 
entire entire trilogy, entire saga, really, honestly. That whole that whole end, Death, uh, Darth Maul, uh, Qui Gon Jinn, Obi Wan lightsaber battle is among some of the best lightsaber work we've seen in any of these movies. Period. Really, um, I think the I think the complete opposite. I think that the trilogy only got better. I thought that Phantom Menace was worse. Attack on the Clones was, in my opinion, pretty good. And Revenge of the Sith is my second favorite Star Wars movie. I, I love how you say all that with a straight face. That is I fantastic. You, you've rehearsed this. You've rehearsed I have. This is pure sincerity. There's no cynicism <laughs> or irony attached to this. Revenge of the Sith is my second favorite Star Wars movie. I think that it's it's epic. It's a masterpiece. So I guess let me ask this because I, I can kind of see where Ben is coming from. It seems like there's more story in The Phantom Menace than in the two prequels following because you know attack of the clones essentially is a detective story until they get to kind of the last battle there you know of of all those of all the prequel movies i think one of the most interesting scenes is the one on genosis where we start to learn about the clones and stuff it really does take on this feel of like a detective story um you know the and and those scenes with obi-wan kind of investigating boba fett yeah yeah absolutely um that's really interesting um but I, I, I kind of feel like there may be more story because they have to do a lot of heavy lifting in Phantom Menace to sort of get you back into Star Wars to even kind of remember, you know, oh, yeah, the Jedi are about this. and, and But then, you know, we, we get off in the weeds here with, uh, you know, Federation trade agreements and all this other weird stuff, too. So it's not always a great story, but there's probably a little bit more story there. But not the most exciting one for sure. No, yeah, absolutely I think that what not. besides the besides that duel, it's really a pretty boring movie to watch. Yeah, what what the Phantom Men- Menace accomplished was basically setting the ground for how great the next two films would be, in my opinion. Sure, sure. Mitch, y- y- your face. You got you to tell me what what's on your mind. No, I actually kind of agree with Ben here in the sense that I, in as much as that I enjoy the prequels at all, I do think that the Phantom Menace is one of the more um <clears throat> the fan menace is probably um at least the only one that i find like interesting like it's the only one that has at least some content even though there is the prop the problem is that like it's overstuffed like there are, there are some imaginative elements of it like the underwater city the um desi- design of um Curacao, i believe it is yeah um, um Naboo, like again, like and um, the introduction of Darth Maul, who would be go on um, through the expanded universe to be something of an interesting character, but is completely wasted here. But like, there's at least some degree of like imagination. I believe that's what Robert Roger Ebert called it at the time, as it was a, a burst of imaginative filmmaking, something to that degree, which. Is not is nice in the, in the sense that. Um, it's it's looks it can look very nice and it sells a lot of merchandise. But it, when I like look back at like the emotional moments of Phantom Menace, I can't really find any that aren't um, bogged down by just like this blatant attempt to um, again like build up a backstory for this incredibly simple. What should be an incredibly simple story, yeah. and you know that that whole thing about it being a really simple story. I mean, we we just learned this in uh, one of my BCA classes how A New Hope is essentially a western, 
Mm-hmm. It's a Western set in space. It's yeah. a very simple story. Um, they initially didn't plan to make any other films after Star Wars. It was initially supposed to be just a standalone film, and then you know, right. it continued on. But, um, I mean, sure, it may have initially started off simple, but I don't think many fans, especially fans that are fans of, you know, uh, nerdy things, would complain about really expanded, uh, you know, lore and that that detail. It seems like people really enjoy that aspect of science fiction. And uh, the, the, the reason why I enjoy the prequel so much is because it's really Anakin's story. It's really Anakin becoming Darth Vader, which I think... I mean, he's he's the most powerful villain in the galaxy, and you're watching his transition from awkward, uh, socially, um, really socially deprived youth who has a really damaged, really sketchy past, trying to achieve these really simple things like love and just being content with himself. It's it's a really and well, we're gonna get to the acting next. That that's the next point I wanted to get on, but that that whole arc of his character, I think, was exceptionally handled throughout the and entire I, prequel. You know, Actually, I, I, want entire to, I want to agree with I, you I, on I would, one thing. Oh, go ahead. Who's, oh, hey. Skype. The, the trials and tribulations of using Skype. Um, I just wanted to, to chime in. So I, I do agree with you um, that the arc of seeing Anakin turn into Darth Vader was one of the only things that we really even cared about when we, when we wanted to watch these prequel trilogies. We even had an idea that there would be prequel trilogies. And that was the core of what we wanted. Um, you know, I'm glad that you got that much out of that arc, um, because quite frankly, as good as it should have been, it was quite lacking. Um, if they didn't get bogged down in so much the Clone Wars, um, and not really showing the breadth of the Clone Wars, um, and just focused on Anakin's story, I believe that all of those, those two movies, those last two prequel trilogy movies would have been far, far better because they would have been more focused. The direction would have been clear. And at the same time, you wouldn't have this kind of wasted Darth Vader moment. It would have been building up. Yeah, when you talk about the arc of Anakin Skywalker, you're essentially talking about the the hero's journey, the rise of the hero, hero's fall, and then redemption. And it's a a great story. I I mean, you know, lots of classic stories are are based on that, especially the the, uh, uh, redemption part. Yeah. So... The hero has to be very compelling, and I'm afraid, as you as you stated, that the acting just doesn't hold up. Like we, if if we were to recast that movie, right, we would know based off of the mistakes that were made here that we need to have that hero be the most interesting person on the screen, the person who's really jumping off the screen. I'm afraid that when we put poor Hayden next to an exceptionally good actor, and I will say this much, my favorite part of all three of the prequels is Obi-Wan Kenobi and how he is portrayed. That is clearly the highlight for me. And to me, when I watch it now, and I know there's a lot of people who um, have different opinions on this, if you, if you, uh, if you view the, the story from a different character's perspective, for me, when I watch the, the prequels now, I view it as really uh, the arc of Obi-Wan. Mm-hmm. Because he's so much more compelling to look at. And some of the garbage dialogue that he's given, he manages to make it work. And that's where I think Hayden really struggles. I haven't felt you this tense since since we fell into that nest of gum dogs. (laughs) You fell into that nightmare, Master. And I rescued you, remember? Oh, yes. We will find out who's trying to kill you, Padme. 
promise you. We will not exceed our mandate, my young Padawan learner. I meant it in the interest of protecting her, Master, of course. We will not go through this exercise again, Anakin. And you will pay attention to my lead. Why? What? Why else do you think we were assigned to her if not to find the killer? Protection is a job for local security, not Jedi. I I, I don't so know. Um, I think that Obi Wan is definitely a really convicting character in the prequel trilogy, and it's really interesting seeing him kind of being forced into this position of master, kind of you know, uh, way too fast for him because sure. you know Qui Gon, and um, seeing him kind of lose his Padawan and his friend, you know, in that entire arc and. If you look really specifically at parts in Attack of the Clones, there's a lot of really subtle uh, conversational things that happen there where, you know, Anakin and uh, Obi-Wan have a lot of kind of conflict because I don't think that Obi-Wan, he's a really arrogant character. And I feel like his arrogance can really kind of cloud up what he should be teaching Anakin because in Attack of the Clones, Anakin is presumed to be like, what, 16, 17 years old, maybe? And he's awkward. I mean, his, his line delivery is flat and understated at times, but I think it's because he's portraying the soon-to-be evil ruler of the galaxy's uh, puberty. We're, we're, we're documenting the awkward transformation from a boy to a man. I mean, when I was 17, I was weirdo. Like, I, I was just bizarre. It, it, it doesn't really <laughs> shock me that Anakin... Darth Vader would be you know, a little, little socially inept at times. I think you're giving Hayden Christensen a little too much credit. What was that? I think you're giving Hayden Christensen a little too much credit there. I, I, I really like his performance. I like his take on the character in that they didn't just go for okay, right out of the gate he's going to be this badass, and there's this really abrupt jump into why he's you know Darth Vader, blah blah blah. It felt like over the course of Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. They took their time to really delicately plant these really subtle plot points to kind of make you rationalize with why he would turn to the dark side. You know, uh, the conversation that he has with Palpatine in, in episode three, where Palpatine talks about Darth uh, Plagueis, I believe, and how he has the ability to bring people back from the dead. That scene alone is one of the greatest in the entire saga, and... I don't know. It, it's really strong writing, in my opinion. In, in my in my opinion, you know I, that is a. I think he gets better as the, um, uh, the the prequels move on for sure. And there's another moment in that movie I really like. And and again, I think he struggles with the dialogue. I think he struggles to convey, you know, what what the words need to convey. Which could probably come from Lucas's short. Well, we we know that it is right. The famous the famous quote from Harrison Ford was, "George, you can write this stuff. You just can't say it." You know, and that was him saying to George, "You know, there needs to be language here. There needs to be conversation. There needs to be emotion in here. You can't just have a bunch of garbage about midichlorians and whatever." Um, but one of my favorite scenes from uh, uh, Revenge of the Sith, he says nothing. It's when he walks into that room where the younglings are, and he's already turned Sith. And there's a there's actually a really young actor there. Uh, what, what, I think he engages him, you know, Master Skywalker or something's going on. Yeah. And when he lights up his his lightsaber, that kid jumps a little bit. 
Mm-hmm. And I love that scene. And that's the kind of acting he did where the physicality, the presence, that yes, darkness. Yes, that, that's, right? that's what I love about his performance. So, and that's, and that's, I can see that. There are definitely moments of that too. There's uh, the second movie as well where he attacks the, the sand people. And you see just a little glimpse of that. Yeah, just after his mother dies, you know, it's just like he has this understated uh, reserve because, you know, the Jedi code, there's no emotion, but he's a very emotional person. Yep. And he understands that just because. He wants to be a Jedi. Maybe it's not the right fit for him. Maybe the Jedi's this whole idea of, uh, you know, suppressing your emotions. Maybe it's not the healthiest thing. You know. So, so I can appreciate that part of his performance, but at the same time, I'm sitting there watching him, and I'm going, Hayden, use your words. Use your words. That's what the dialogue is for. Mitch, what do you got? Well, there, there are definitely moments where Hayden Christensen's performance does kind of. Um, live up to the what the story should be of um, Anakin Skywalker's turmoil. But I think kind of going back to what Brett was saying about how um, he's supposed to be this awkward teenager. Well, so was Luke at the, at the time of uh, New Hope. Like, he was about 17, I believe. Um, obviously not the actor, but he was meant to be... Um, young, young man. A young kid. And there's, there's ways that you can portray, like, immaturity on screen, screen like both... Um, Ray in the new saga and um, Luke in the original both are very bright-eyed and kind of naive, but the but the actors behind them have um, enough um, charisma and charm to um, make that compelling. And so maybe if um, Anakin Skywalker, as portrayed by Hayden Christensen, was um, a bit darker, a bit more daring, a bit more reckless. Um, like a combination maybe of um, Luke and Han Solo from the original series having more moments um, of darkness and um, where he can let his physicality uh, tell the story. You know, that the, that's a great point that you just made, which is the, the actors that we have in the, the sequels now, The um, Force Awakens and, and uh, Last Jedi, um, you know, they bring different shades of emotion into the role. There's levity there. There's some humor. Um, and yes, their stakes are high. Um, if you think of Ray's uh, response when she sees, uh, spoilers, Han Solo gets killed. Um, you know, I mean, there's there's legitimate, you know, sorrow there. And, and I guess that's my big problem <laughs> with even Hayden at his best in these movies is his performance is just so flat. There's no humor. There's no joy, even when they're trying to be funny. Some of the most awkward exchanges maybe <laughs> on the screen ever are him and poor Natalie Portman, who's trying to pretend that she's in love with this guy. And, you know, the whole universe is at stake, and it is I've just not so happening. I've seen so much worse, though. Like, it's just not happening. Okay, let's let, 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 <laughs> let's see stuff this no. bad in one of the most acclaimed and, like, beloved franchises. Okay, beloved, yes. Acclaimed, not really. No, not, yeah, I, I would tend to agree with you. And by the way, better directors, right? Mm-hmm. Better directors. One, one thing that we should get out of the way is the acting in the entire episode one through six. Actually, I'll, I'll talk sp- uh, originally on the original trilogy. The acting was not always strong. There were a lot of really, Agreed. especially in last, uh, not last, um, Return of the Jedi. Yeah. A lot of really goofy moments, a lot of really awkward humor, because Han Solo was essentially like just a, a punchline generator in that movie. He didn't really seem oh, to look at the the death of Boba Fett. I mean, it's like Saturday morning cartoons. He yeah. slams up yeah. against the side of something and goes, oh, and falls into the pit. 
It's it's terrible. And I I, th- I thought there were some funny moments in the prequel trilogy, like you know, uh, in, in in episode two when they're like, oh, we came to rescue you, and Obi Wan looks up like, oh, good job. Like it was it's funny. It's fine. There, there's moments not from Hayden. I mean, those those typically come from other actors. He's, and again, he's, he's the setup. Obi Wan's the, the he's the straight he, man. He, yeah, he's the straight man. <laughs> ben, what what do you got? Um, you know, I just um, I agree that the acting has never been great. And I, I think that it, we're going to fool ourselves if we think that, you know, Star Wars is the, like, great pantheon of, of wonderful acting. Um, A New Hope is rough to watch. I mean, it's it, you can watch it and be nostalgic and love Star Wars. But if you had no love for this saga whatsoever and were, like, never exposed to it, um, odds are a lot of people would think it would be dated, and it's just kind of just like, ugh. That's that. That's the one thing I hear from people that have never seen Star sure. Wars who try watching. They're like, it, it just was boring. The acting was just weird. Sure. And yeah, especially so, you know, Mark yeah, Hamill. Oh, yeah. oh, hey, hey. Uh, Dave, go ahead. I, I want to hear what you have to say. No, I, uh, I just making your point that in A New Hope, uh, Mark Hamill is just downright grating at some point. You yeah. know, I mean, and he is right. He's again space teenager. Uh, at a place that he doesn't want to be, <laughs> struggling with things that he doesn't understand, things are out of his control, um, you know, and that's where uh, that's where the dialogue, that's where the directing really comes into play, yeah. um, and you know, particularly on that movie too. If you look at any of the uh, documentaries and stuff they've made about uh, the the original trilogy, uh, it, it really the the hero in there is the editor, who I think was Harrison Ford's wife at that point. Mm-hmm. But the editor on that movie is the one that really saved it mm-hmm. with some really smart choices with pacing. And yeah, yeah. Music. Wasn't the original like draft of the film a lot kind of slower and a lot very more slow. Kind of dry? Very slow, very dry. I mean, you know, Mark Hamill has said he thought this was just the worst B movie ever. Uh, he thought it was going to bomb, and eventually, maybe you know, midnight showings uh, years later, there it would become like a Rocky Horror kind of a thing where. You know, every time Chewie does something, you take a drink or whatever, you know, make a drinking game out of it or something like that. It was funny because I was actually watching Mark Hamill be interviewed with the cast of The Last Jedi on Jimmy Kimmel. And he said when he had the original script for A New Hope, you know, like nowadays, you know, with with the scripts, like, all right, it's super secretive. No one knows like what's going on. But he said when he got the script for A New Hope, he was like giving it to his friends like like, hey, like this stupid movie I'm in. It's goofy. Like, you know. It's just so funny how it you know became this huge thing. But we need to establish that A New Hope and Return of the Jedi, from a filmmaking standpoint, like all nostal- all nostalgia aside, all love for the series aside, I-, I love the series. They're not amazing films as films. They're they're good testaments of what they are. They're great science fiction epics. But it's not bicycle thieves, you know. They're 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 not the these critical uh, champions. They're they they changed the landscape of filmmaking. They didn't change film. I mean, they were always supposed to be blockbusters, right? I mean, that was that was yeah. the end goal. They're, they're just they are blockbuster popcorn movies. And and, and and there's nothing wrong with that. I I'm just saying no. that yeah. when when people seem to attribute a lot of critical respect to them, I kind of question that. And then when people attack the prequels as oh, there's bad editing there's bad cinematography that well like did you watch the original trilogy that's all sure, over the place sure i sure. think the cinematography in the prequel trilogy is uh better at times 
I mean, oh, I say I, w- I really disagree. There, there with are some that. moments that are, there are some dazzling shots in that prequel trilogy. Even in Phantom Menace, there are some beautiful shots. There are. Yeah, I. Um, well, yeah. So to Ben's point, this was really the beginning of a new genre of of movie, which is like the summer blockbuster. Now they've moved it to December. Um, with summer's all filled, so apparently that was a pretty successful model. But. Um, yeah, there's a lot to like about the movies. Were they always well-written? No. It's a space opera. That's what it is. Exactly. Um, it is the really basic, again, hero's journey. And so the prequels, to me, really, that was a departure from what was set up. I mean, that was a pretty, I, I don't know if I would call it ambitious, but it was a, it was a pretty good uh, narrative arc between three movies. And again, Return of the Jedi, to me, is one of the worst movies in the whole, you know, that's, it's a horrible ending. It's just, it's, uh, you know, that's where you, the trope of the second Death Star comes in and, yeah. and you know, all these other things. So, so it's not a great piece of, of movie making. I really wish David Lynch could have directed it. Yeah. You know, and, and that's where they really sort of just, could have been it, cool. the, the, where Star Wars was achieving artistically at its highest level, I think that was definitely low ebb. For them, that particular movie. It's a really bad follow to Empire. I'd yes, say. yes, such a let, let down, you which, know. Which, which, by the way, is is one of the highest points of the entirety of the Star Wars saga. You know, and you want to talk about a transition, right? Is that you know what happened in New Hope uh, was a great setup to this idea that you could have these big bombastic movies, summer blockbuster. The only thing that predated that um, was happened around the same time was Jaws. They have this movie brat mentality with him and Spielberg. All these people trying to concoct this type of movies. But uh, Empire was a artistic high note. I think everybody who enjoys these films, uh, whether you like the prequels or the original trilogy or not, uh, always will point to Empire uh, simply because, A, Lucas didn't direct it. Uh, as you know, Dave said, every time Lucas gets involved, something weird happens. He's he's a story guy. He's but not yeah, a camera guy. And, and, you, yeah, and you know what? I'm yeah. not sure he's a story guy. I think he's a, he's a he develops really wonderful characters and places. I think he really struggles Lawrence, yes. with the story, and I think that's why your your New Hope arc, that start of it, is that classic that Joseph Campbell, um, you know, uh, hero journey, um, because it's simple. Because it's you know what hundreds of years old so he's not reinventing the wheel there oh um, yeah of course not yeah. um but yeah when he starts to again i i hate to bring this up again but the, the the intergalactic trade federation agreement and all this that's where he really starts to step you know on his own feet there now you said something a you don't like moment the ago about the, the films themselves looking spectacular and I would not, say, not not spectacular. They they you have said there's they some times, spectacular shots. They 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 have some beautiful cinematography. In okay, I will take issue with that because this is where I think maybe it explains some of that really wooden acting. Is that this is really the birth? And again, we'll we'll give it up to George because as a as an innovator, as a person who moved film forward with his technical developments, mm-hmm. he's unparalleled. Um, I don't know where we'd be if he hadn't put the work in for all the other work, uh, filmmakers that followed him. But this is really the beginning of what I think was a terrible trend that continues today, and that is green screen movie making. 
and you know the fact that we're not on locations and that we don't have really organic sets that we're acting to green screens. Yeah. I mean, you know, we know that after Phantom Menace, Liam Neeson basically said, like, leave me alone. I don't want to make movies for a while. If this is what making movies is now, yeah. um, and you see that he's really, you know, shied away from from big blockbusters. He's. Really I think done. that that's that's one of the negative things. That's a product of its time. You know, uh, Phantom Menace, nineteen ninety nine. CGI was still, people were kind of still getting used to developing it. You know, it, it was, it wasn't a new technology, but it was still, it still really exhilarated audiences when they saw good CGI. Like nowadays, if you see good CGI, it's like, oh yeah, they did a good job. But back then it was like, oh my God, it was amazing. So it made sense to me that George Lucas, to try to come back from probably the greatest film trilogy ever, sure. all right, how can we set this apart, go above and beyond. And there's there are some moments where they mix, you know, green screen backgrounds with uh, on-location sets, but you're right, there is a lot of green screen. And, and I think, um, you know, a, a really basic example uh, between the, 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 even within the prequels themselves, that um, lightsaber duel that Ben mentioned between Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan and Darth Maul, just wonderful to watch athletic and just smart and ultimately tragic mm -hmm. um and you compare that with obi-wan and anakin do not Mustafar, that is the greatest is the worst it is the worst video game ripoff awful like you know what there's not that much difference watching that in the film and watching my kid play Lego Star Wars. Okay, you're my boss, so I'm going to let it slide. But <laughs> you're the worst. It, it, Mitch, well, What about that line? <laughs> what, what what line? Let, let, let's oh, just that, get it all out there. That line? You were like a brother to me, Anakin. <laughs> you're the chosen one. It's, it's, it's power. When I was, when, all right. Listen, Brent, Brent, I've got the high ground here. <laughs> when, I, when I was a kid and I was in the theater and I saw that, I started crying. I was so emotionally captivated. I kind of was too. I was crying a little bit. I can't. I'm like, I can't and believe when, and this when Darth, is what we've been reduced to. And when Darth Vader lets out this vulnerable, this is why the no, this is why it's completely fine. Because that's a moment where you see, you finally see Anakin as Darth Vader. This is your first intro in the prequel trilogy of Darth Vader appearing on camera. And what do you see? You see a moment of complete vulnerability and sadness. It adds an entirely new layer to the character that wasn't really properly explored in the original trilogy with the exception of the last Je um, Return of the Jedi. You know, at the end of that sure. movie, he realizes that originally I thought just going with the Jedi was wrong, but now I've, you know, done the, the you know, the opposite of that. I've just gone with the dark side. He understands that he needs to do what's right regardless of creeds, you know? And him letting out that no, he understands that this has all been a huge mistake. He he sacrificed one form of hip, of hypocrisy for another. Yeah, I it's mean, corny, but I get it. You know? I, I mean, it's again, it's it's the performance of it. I mean, it's it's just the uh, at that point you have Darth Sidious standing there. He might as well be the mustache twirling <laughs> villain. You know, I mean, now leading These are up, on par leading up with to James that point, Bond movies, sort of. Well, sure, yeah. sure. I mean, some of them, <laughs> sure. I mean, if you want to compare him to, like, the worst Blofeld in Diamonds Are Forever, I think you're, you're spot on, actually. Um, but, but, there are, those, there are these moments 
in all three of those movies where something happens that does give you a little bit of, of character development and the sequence that just precedes that. And, and that to me is why the payoff is not as much of a payoff. Um, but you see the suffering. So you do see the physical limitations of this yeah. person. And you understand that this person in the suit is, you know, a flesh and blood human being and not a monster, not a robot. I mean, honestly, guys, when, when New Hope came out, everybody thought he was just a robot. Exactly. Like, there's mm-hmm. there's a dude in there? I, yeah. Where did he come from? What's his story? And when, so, when, when they take off the mask in uh, Return of the Jedi, you see yeah, his face. Sure. It, 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 it reminded me of that. Like it that, it that rehumanizes of, him. Exactly. exactly. Mitch, and, you j- jump in. I feel like we're all talking over Mitch. <laughs> no, I... Feel I, free I to complain say, about these movies as much as you want. You really need to get in the game Dave here. And just tell me how wrong I am. I, I would say that there are powerful moments scattered throughout the three prequel movies, but, again, that's all they are. They're just moments. There are moments of competence, moments of... Um, oh, closer. Okay. Thematic energy that just doesn't hold up throughout the rest of the movie like going back to the, mo- the movies um, going back to what they've said about um, Attack the Clones it's kind of a, it's kind of has an interesting detective story um, subplot but that story is buried under a very uninteresting um, attempt at a war story a very uninteresting love story it's trying um, to fit all these um kind of all these subplots, all these attempts at um, homages to like old Hollywood uh, storytelling into like one hodgepodge mess of um, a trilogy. And so um, that's why I think going back, like I probably will for a couple more times over this conversation, that's the problem with the prequels is that they just tried too much they tried to they tried too hard to live up to what um this cultural expectation of like the majesty of star wars well they they they, 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 they never could like i mean they, and, they really and, never and could shows sure they, they, they sure. never could they never did um so so let me ask you if you could if you go back in time yeah and you could recast the role of anakin would you yes or no because I think I think the success of those movies really hinges on that decision because they surround him with honestly one, no with, with wonderful actors but let's remember that at one point I right, would possibly recast Padme okay and maybe that would have helped the dynamic yeah. um, but let's remember like way back when I mean you had Nick Nolte or Christopher Walken that was going to be Han Solo how much that would have changed that role in the dynamic of the cast in that movie one of the, the really fun things to watch uh, in the prequels is actually any time that Ewan McGregor and Christopher Lee are on screen together because that's a really interesting pairing. And in the second movie where they're sort of interrogating. Yeah. Um, you know, that's a really interesting pairing. Um, but again, I, I think it goes back to that one casting choice. And I think if you would have had, you know, Hayden – and by the way, he's being directed – Right, so right. how many of these choices are his and how many are George saying, no, 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 do it like the script, which is very black and white. It's very, now you're sad, be sad, and don't be anything other than sad, and be sad this way. 
Have you seen Hayden Christensen in anything other than the Star Wars? Yeah, films? it was a glass house or glass houses. Shatterglass. Shatterglass was one, but there's another one with Kevin Klein that he's in. I think it's called the Glass House or mm-hmm. the Something House. I know what you're. Um, to. But yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think overall what he's done it's always been better than this. I think these these are really movies that let him down as an actor and probably affected his his career. Yeah. Um, but I wonder about that one casting choice and how much it would have affected. The rest of we, this. We should have got Jared Leto in there. Well, you know, who wasn't it? I mean, initially, because I remember I was a reporter in 1999. So mm-hmm. when Phantom Menace was about to come out, I was covering the story, not, you know, for any Hollywood publications, but just for readers in general who were into it. I was into it. There was lots of fans covered opening night. And um, as I recall, there was lots of people who were mentioned for that, including uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, I want to say was Joaquin Phoenix ever approached? I think Joaquin was. I could have seen that. Kind and I want to say um, Colin Farrell maybe it, was also. No. Uh, too, well, too I mean, I, th- I I mean, I think he was, but I mean, I don't not that's right. not an endorsement, right, right? But there was many sort of A list young Hollywood actors uh, that were approached for that role, and because of typecasting and a lot of other reasons. Um, I think they probably passed on that, and it ultimately it's George's decision. But well, I, I liked how in the original he used virtually unknowns, you know, right, right, and in the prequel trilogy he used a lot of unknowns. I mean, Ewan McGregor had like a pretty good, you know, independent following with like Train Spotting sure. and stuff. Natalie Portman was in um, what's that girl where that movie where the she's professional? The girl. Yeah, yeah. Um, they, they they all had you know successful independent careers, and. Uh, I, I think Hayden did a, did a so darn would, good job. So you would job. not recast? You, you I would not re- I would give okay. him better direction. Okay, that's fair. I, I, that's I give fair. him some better direction at times. Because there are times where I'm, and I'm not like a director, you know. Like I'm just a guy at college. But I'm like, he probably could have done that differently. Who who do you feel he had the best chemistry with in those movies? Because it wasn't Adley. I, I think Obi-Wan. I think the the dynamic between he him and Ewan McGregor uh was really, really interesting. The the chemistry between him and Padme in episode two picks up really interesting from where it is with episode one because she's a bit older than he is. He's going through puberty. You know, when he first meets her in the second film, he's trying really hard to impress her. He's very kind of uh, obviously insecure. He, he's been deprived of so, like legitimate social interaction most of his life. He doesn't really know how to express his emotions and that's where I think a lot of the awkwardness comes from in episode two. It's you're witnessing a guy who doesn't know how to process the love he feels trying to, even though he's forbidden to. So it's really conflicting. They know we're married. You're trembling. What's going on? That's, that's wonderful. You're so beautiful. No. <laughs> no, it's because I'm so in love with you. <laughs> what do you mean? Me. All right, so what we're going to do now to close everything out is we're going to talk about our favorite moments from the prequel trilogy, and we're also going to rate all of the films in the original saga, one through six. We're not going to talk about Force Awakens or Rogue One right now, but um, you know they would probably figure into the list pretty high for most of us. But um, So do you want to go first, Dave, since you're the one that has the most you know, Star Wars experience? Sure. Um, so favorite moment uh, in the prequels... Um, If you're a Star Wars fan, if you've been a fan for a long time, and of course, you know, this is such a rich universe for content, uh, 
when they stopped making the movies, essentially we all thought that they were done. Uh, and then, you know, um, the books started to come out. And of course, they never stopped making toys. But, uh, but the, the books and the extended universe um, really helped continue uh, telling great stories. And um, one of the things that always, I think every fan was a little curious about, was Order 66 and the death of the Jedi. Yeah. So it is certainly the saddest moment for me, even, even more sad than, than watching uh, Padme die. Or, uh, or or watching Darth Vader's ultimate fall or, or whatever, um, the most compelling storytelling moment for me is Order sixty six, and you see that in uh, Revenge of the Sith, and um, it plays out. You see a variety of Jedi that you've grown attached to, uh, not just in uh, uh, the Clone War cartoons later, because yeah. you know. After those cartoons come out, then you get sort of more attached to them right then. They're just sort of, you know, costumes on the screen. Yeah. But after you see some storylines unfold and you see who uh, who's a leader in the, the Jedi Order, uh, it even has more poignancy later. Mm-hmm. So for me, that was definitely, um, it, as much as I, I would say that these are sort of unemotional, flat movies for me, yeah. that is one that re- really carries some resonance. And then uh, I, I would say a close runner-up to that is the very last scene in uh, uh, Revenge of the Sith where Obi-Wan visits that farm that we get to know oh, so yeah. well in the, next, uh, in the next installment. So those are highlights for me. What about the ranking? Oh, ranking? Okay. So uh, well, you know, how about if we just talk about those moments for Yes, yeah, so we can do that. Mitch, how about you next? My favorite moment um, in the prequel series would probably be one of the penultimate scenes in uh, Phantom Menace. Um, Shortly after uh, Qui-Gon Jinn is killed by Darth Maul, um, they're in uh, one of the they're in a temple on Naboo. He's having uh, his body thrown on this funeral pyre, kind of a throwback to the end of uh, Return of the Jedi, where Darth Vader is um, cremated, and you have Obi Wan um, addressing this young Anakin right next to him and telling him how like he's his master now, how, like, they're going to be, um, as c- close, um, together as, uh, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan were, and, again, um, this is a very, um, I think promising moment for, um, kind of hinting at this deeper, um, thematic depth, um, that this trilogy could have, um, mined a bit more with the relationship between these two. And so that was one of the moments that will always um, kind of stick out for me um, when talking about the prequels. All right, for me, my favorite prequel moment is uh, probably a tie between the conversation between Anakin and Palpatine uh, about Darth Plagueis. I think that is one of the greatest scenes in all of Star Wars. Actually, you know what? Yeah, it, it, it's that. that. That's my favorite scene, bar none. the tragedy. Darth Plagueis the Wise. No. I thought not. It's not a story the Jedi would tell you. It's a Sith legend. Darth Plagueis was a dark lord of the Sith, so powerful and so wise, he could use the Force to influence the midi-chlorians to create... Uh, 
yeah. the the shot composition, just the the setting of of, of the yeah. scene, the lighting, the ominous, the the the, the acting, especially especially from Hayden, because he he is a bit more kind of uh, heightened. In that. We're we're almost on the same page. Though. That was, I know that we're, was we're that close. was gonna that was gonna be my choice. I I, I really it's uh, a great scene. And you know what I think. Uh, is interesting about both of those scenes that we talked about is that they both expand the lore. They yes. both expand the story that we we sort of know the framework of it. Right. Um, that was a really intimate, you know, sinister conversation. And you see, that's really one of the moments in that movie too, where you see the turmoil in Anakin Skywalker. And he did a brilliant job with that. My, Cred- credit where credit is due. Yeah, my, my runner up would be the scene where uh, he kills Mace Windu. Uh, and, and actually, or also third third way tie when uh, Mace Windu busts in on um, during the Clone Wars in Episode Two, and he's like, "This, this part is over." That that definitely that that's top three for me. Is Samuel L. Jackson just being cool? It's it's so weird to listen to him in that leadership position there. Well, that uh, was an Jedi. odd casting choice, and, that was it's, a very and it was great. But it's just you 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 know whenever he whenever he says something, you sort of fill in you know mf or in like, exactly. some part of exactly. that. So. I'm sure you can find that actual cut on YouTube somewhere where somebody <laughs> drops that in. So but yeah, see, seriously, it's the uh, the Darth Plagueis conversation in uh, Episode Three. It's my favorite. By the way, that's a great book. If you've never read it, or if you ever have time and you want to get an audio book to listen to, there's a they took that scene and uh, made a novelization of the character Darth Plagueis, and and it really uh, it is. I mean, that's what it's called. I think is Plagueis, but it really is not just his story. But it also is Palpatine's story too, right? And you get a whole bunch of backstory with him. And again, that's what I love about the lore of Star Wars is that other authors and directors have come in and really advanced the storytelling. It's probably my favorite um, extended universe book. I would definitely check that out if you like any of those characters. Awesome. So last, we're gonna do the rankings. Rate some movies. Rate rate them. All right. So uh, I I can't do just the prequels so i just i did i took on everything right yeah. so i'm going to start with my top one and with its flaws uh with its sometimes challenged acting and the grating voice of of you know the teenage mark hamill and that kind of thing i still have to put new hope number one and for me it's just such a standalone experience in my life um and it just moved the needle so much uh, in pop culture, it's just really a standalone moment for me. So I always have to sort of keep that number one. After that, this list might be different next week if you ask me. Who right. knows? But uh, for this week, uh, I got to go Empire. That's really uh, the, the best movie of, uh, of the whole run. Um, it's not without its flaws, but it certainly, I think, is the most complete story. You know, for about two hours or whatever it is, uh, there's a beginning and a middle and a really compelling end, a cliffhanger. One of the things that he took from those serials that he loved when he was a kid. Um, and I think that really is the wise decision by George Lucas to hand off to a better storyteller than him. Mm-hmm. Um, and why why he didn't do that with a follow-up is always going to haunt me, I guess, because, yeah, D- uh, David Lynch. He tried. Re- Return of the Jedi. How, what would that have been like? So anyway, next up, I have Force Awakens. And for me, this is the most Star Wars feeling movie um, besides New Hope and, and Empire. And yes, it's got some familiar characters and it's got some familiar beats. 
but it also lives in that world. And that's my primary complaint with it. The prequels is too much green screen and too much. Um, it didn't feel like Star Wars. Yeah. So I, I go uh, I go Force Awakens. Um, you probably uh, want to throw something at me after this, but I'm going to go Rogue One next. And why is that? Oh, boy. Not a, not the strongest movie. Um, an interesting departure. I like anthologies. So I like the idea that we can take a moment here that we sort of lived with. Kind of like that conversation that you mentioned about Darth Plagueis or kind of like Order 66 where we can take a moment and just expand on it and just live within that moment for a minute. Right. But I have to tell you, the best representation of Darth Vader on the screen. And that's why I ranked it so high. Like in the entire saga? Pretty much. I mean, if you if you want to see him at his most powerful, and that's the thing that we never really could see, right? You know, New Hope, he looks a little clumsy. Empire, he looks a little bit more like that stronger, you know, evil I, 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 force. That, that, that scene with him and Luke fighting in like the dark hallways in Empire. That scared me when I was a kid. That, it's, that it's, just can't be top for me. It's it's really beautiful, and I think this this can match that. This was really the first time that we saw, as you mentioned before, uh, part of there's there's kind of two pieces of this this uh, person who's conflicted, yeah. and one of them is sadness, and then one of them is rage. Yeah, and I don't know that we've ever seen rage before uh, until Rogue One, and I think that was part of the reshoots. They just tacked that on at the end, but you know what? It was worth sitting through the rest of that movie for. I I hated Rogue One, but when that scene kicked in, like I texted Ben, I was just like, "Dude, Rogue One just picked up." Like yeah. now, now I mean, that's the reason to watch later. the whole movie. Really, I would agree. Um, if we, I'd say it's actually one of my favorite moments um, in the Star Wars saga. Um, it kind of, largely because it kind of recontextualizes Darth Vader. Um, we're always so used to seeing him um, in the context of Luke's story. Yeah. As um you know, the father figure of this main villain. Um, Rogue One, you get to see him from the soldier's point of view. Yes, like the average he's taking care of so. business. Yeah. You get to see, like, just how terrifying this character can be, which is something that kind of gets lost in all the video games and all the um, uh, other and that movies. And my next yeah. choice that goes right along with that is Revenge of the Sith, and that's exactly why I chose that. It really is a different look at that character of Anakin, yeah. You know, ultimately the fall and sort of how he behaves, and um, you know, you get to finally see him put the the suit on for the first time. Mm-hmm. And then I go Attack of the Clones, um, kind of middle of the pack there. Um, it's it's hard to find a lot of things to to love in that movie for me. Um, Return of the Jedi is the next one. Uh, not a great movie, really. Uh, if you're a Star Wars kid from the '80s, was such a letdown to end with Boba Fett, you know, getting smacked on the side of a spaceship and, you know, falls down and dies with no fight with, you know, uh, some of those musical numbers in Jabba's Palace. Teddy, Teddy bears dancing. uh, Just, I mean, it's, it's the equivalent almost to me of like Spider-Man three. Yes. Which at one point had three, you know, this is a Spider-Man movie that had three dance numbers in it. You're going, (laughs) who, who said that this was going to be okay? Sam Raimi, dude. Wow. Wow. Um, and then Phantom Menace, because it just, uh, for me, the, the, really the best take on that that I've ever heard was from the stand-up comedian, uh, Patton Oswalt, who, uh, who did a, a, you know, look it up on YouTube. It's a, it's a great riff on Star Wars. Um, hey, we're going to make new Star Wars movies. Are you excited? Hell yes, I'm excited. What are they going to be about? Hey, did you ever want to know about Anakin Skywalker? 
Yes, of course I want to know more. How about when he's five years old? Uh, no, not really. <laughs> not when he's five. No, not at all. How about his mom? Do you ever wonder about his mom? No, not really. What about pod racing? How about pod racing? Doesn't that sound amazing? Uh, no, not, not really. Not amazing at all. Uh, and that's kind of what that movie He's is, not wrong. He's is not wrong. for me. It's just the wrong part of the saga to look at. Yeah. Um, for instance, if, you know, if I was creating that story, I might start where um, we wrap up all of uh, uh, his, his upbringing and his mom and, you know, whether he's a, a Christ-like figure that just sort of appears one day. Yeah. Um, and maybe we start in the Jedi Temple or something, or you know, maybe we start at a different point there. But um, but yeah, that one's that one's a tough go. I gotta tell you, if that one's on TV, I'm probably not staying on that channel. I'll probably flip to something else. That's fair. Um, and just to be, and just in in the order of being in in the uh, uh, in the order of uh, of being complete here, um, Clone Wars animated movie. Never seen it. Not a great movie. Um, again, it sort of started the, the TV series to follow. Um, but okay. I mean, you can definitely tell it's for, for younger kids to get into and to buy some toys later. And, um, there's a couple of, uh, fun parts there. The music's actually kind of good, but, um, it sort of establishes again, um, Star Wars for a next yet another generation. And then nobody's talked about it, but if we want to talk about acting, if you want to talk about narrative problems, let's talk about the Star Wars Christmas special. Uh, it's, it's, I put it on my list. Aired only once. And uh, George Lucas has done everything in his power to try to keep this under wraps. So I'm sorry, everyone. You got to go on eBay and, and get your copy of it, which is usually pretty easy to I find. Think it's on YouTube. Is it on YouTube? I'm pretty now? sure it is. Okay. If you, can get it, yeah. if you can get it for free, that's even better to, to not spend <laughs> a couple not of bucks that. on that. But um, just the most weird, and again, he executive produced that. So at that point, I think you got to say, George, take a vacation, uh, maybe read some different stuff for a little while, get some more influences to draw from, and uh, and man, um, we could do an entire episode about the Christmas yeah, special. That it's is, just that if you haven't bizarre. seen it, just go go on YouTube, type type in Star Wars Christmas special. You'll, you'll have a good time. And honestly, if I guess if you want to figure out, if you want to try to deconstruct, where did Harrison Ford go like south on Star Wars? What what ultimately made him go, I don't understand this and I don't want to be a part of it. I'm going to say it starts with the Christmas special where he's going, what, now what is this for television and what are we doing here? And I mean, there are whole like segments of that where there's no dialogue and there's just Wookiees sort of growling at each other. No subtitles. No subtitles, <laughs> no anything. You're just sort of staring at this. And as a, God, I don't know, I was probably seven or eight years Silent old. Silent films have better narrative when that structure. Came out, you're just sitting there going, I love Star Wars and this sucks. Yeah. This is terrible. It probably started with the Christmas special and ended with uh, Return of the Jedi. Because he, the, he the, seems really just not about it. The the introduction of Boba Fett too, which is really sad because nobody will like legitimately get to see that story yeah, told. Yeah. So that's that's where I'm at with my Star Wars movies. You want to go next? Um yeah I can I can go. Um we might be a little bit pressed for time, so I'm I'm not gonna give an entire ranking of that's all fine. the movies. I'm just gonna talk about my least favorite, which is Revenge of the Sith. Um kind of maybe going against the grain of that. Like, a, lot, a lot of people will um, named that as the best prequel movie, but for me it was the one that just has so much, 
the missed potential of all of it is kind of just um, overshadows like anything that um, the prequels trilogy was building up to or the movie itself um, could have had. Because when you look back at, at least for me, Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones, there is there are moments of, um, I guess the word for it would be like wonder, like the, the um, underwater city in Phantom Menace, the pod, the pod racing scene in Phantom Menace, all, um, there's a lot of um, exhilaration and wonder. And um, Attack on Clones has a lot of very interesting locales and very interesting additions to um, the mythos with the uh, uh, kind of like, the stormy, like, water-based city of Camino and the desolation of Genosis. Revenge of the Sith just really... It's the one that seems... What's your, like what's your least favorite part of that movie? It's... Again, it's... The fact that the... It's the one that seems most... Like, like it's attempting to be most like a good movie. Like, there is... Dec- <laughs> there's... There is decent directing. Like, there's a good... Um, tracking shot to open up the movie. Um, it's all CG. But um, What's the worst? What's the part that you like the least out of that movie, though? If I could narrow it down um, to one moment, it would be the death of Count Dooku. Yeah. Because yeah. Dooku and um, the late great Christopher Lee was one yeah. of the more interesting additions to the Star Wars mythos. So you I mean, just oh, they, oh. they did, did that too soon? Is that what you're saying? I think... It's not that they do it too soon. They definitely could have, they could have remo- absolutely removed General Grievous from the movie. Like he was a very interesting character when he was introduced in the Star Wars animated series. But they yeah. completely, just like neuter him of any like danger, any charisma, any mi- mystery, in this movie. They turn him into this walking skeleton with a smoker's cough, um, <laughs> which is expo- which is a expo- coat rack. Yeah, with, which is, with a smoker's cough. It's, 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 and the worst part is it's explained in the Clone Wars, um, the original Clone Wars animated series, where he's introduced as just this sure. like, killing machine that takes out five Jedis at, yeah. at, um, at once when he first appears. And then in his last appearance, Mace Windu kind of like crushes his chest cavity. And so he spends the rest of his cinematic life as just now, which is that in the clone wars or is that in, in the uh those are the shorts right from the cartoon the, network the shorts the um yeah i forgot those i didn't cr- put those created on my list. by um the guy, same guy who created samurai jack yeah and dexter's laboratory yes. those were fantastic I, I forgot to put those on my list those are fantastic if you can find them and i believe that um they're not available on blu-ray like for some reason they're not on circulation because um, I had to go deep digging on eBay to get a copy of that, but those those are brilliant. They're, and they're like one minute each or two minutes. Um, the first season, which was like twenty episodes, were all five minutes. Okay. And there was a second season, which was maybe like five or ten episodes, and they were all fifteen minutes. Because Ventress is also introduced in there, yeah. right? And that's that's the idea of how Anakin got the scar on his face was that mm-hmm. she she gave it to him. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just all right. Just. Kind of just finishing up with Dooku, like he's set up as this like this very interesting character, but and he's just killed off to give Anakin a mi- mildly compelling character beat, but they they sacrifice, um, they they sacrifice like um, a character that had a lot of great potential in the in, um, for this series um, too soon. Um, not it's not the most. Um, 
it's not the best uh it's not the most like well done scene like there's it's a similar scene to um kylo ren killing han solo in uh, force awakens um tonally um there's kind of like this moment of hesitation this um will it will he or won't he like give into the dark side but force awakens does it a lot better whereas um Brent's gonna jump out of his chair. He's, he's got. He let, <laughs> let him in, let him in here. Let oh him in here. Good. We can. Wait, so you so right you have to, okay. you have to respond to that. The, the Count Dooku kill scene <laughs> is great, and this is why it's great because it shows Palpatine one going against the Jedi code, one instructing Anakin to do something that he really doesn't want to do, and after he does it, showing this control over Anakin for really no reason at all. Um, he says, oh, he rationalizes it by saying Count Dooku was too dangerous to be kept alive. And after Anakin helps Palpatine kill Mace Windu, he says the exact same thing. It's a really good example of reincorporation. It's the and first it's, first time he gets Anakin to cross the line. Exactly. Right? And yeah. it's a good way of – because if, if, if that scene with Mace Windu just happened, it would have been really jarring. But since it happened with Dooku prior in a much more kind of, oh, it makes sense kind of scenario, I, Mitch, I, I love sorry <laughs> <laughs> you know i have to say i he's such a great character i mean his presence was sort of Can't unexpected in those movies christopher lee and he's such a, a commanding figure on the screen i remember seeing the movie for the first time and thinking like oh man i i don't know why they got rid of him so early in the film it's a poignant moment i, I mean the moment itself is is pretty well done yeah. but it's it just so early in the movie i, I kind of get your point you're like why are we why are we saying goodbye to this guy so early? Well, I guess I'll do uh, my list right now. Uh, I'm just gonna go from top to bottom, like my favorite to my least favorite. So kick it off. Uh, my favorite is Empire. I it, it's the pinnacle, the most iconic scene, most iconic moments, uh, beautiful directing. I mean, there there really aren't many things I could say that are negative about the film, other than, you know. Return of the Jedi was a bad follow-up, you know, and I, but, uh, Empire's definitely the pinnacle of the entire series, and next is Revenge of the Sith, um, <laughs> it's my second favorite of all time, I think that it, at times, is just as good as Empire, in my opinion, but, yeah, I'm just gonna move on before Mitch. Yeah, I think it's really interesting, so that's number, was it two? two? That's number two, two for, for you. That's last for him. Absolutely last for him, and for me, it's about the middle, middle, the middle of the, of the road. I yeah. think Ben would probably rate it middle of the road too. Yeah. He, he I think he's. I think he said it was. He thought it was the best of the three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, after Revenge, New Hope, um, for you know obvious obvious reasons. After New Hope, Attack of the Clones. Um, after Attack of the Clones, Force Awakens. I'd say, um, I wasn't the biggest fan of Force Awakens. It's not nearly as bad as people make it out to be, though. And I think that The Last Jedi is has potential to be like one of my favorite Star Wars films. I'm very, very excited for it. They greenlit the the director of The Last Jedi, his own trilogy. Yeah. So they have some faith in this film, you know. And that the trailers look great, just the, everything about the movie. I think great. I think as a storyteller, he's gonna be we're gonna look at him as quite an upgrade from yeah. JJ. Hopefully. But, I mean, yeah, definitely but, from JJ, yeah. But but then JJ is going to do the last movie. <laughs> so what is that? Oh, he's doing like? episode nine. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. Ooh. So Kevin Tra- uh, Colin Trevorrow. Colin Trevorrow. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which honestly, that looked like it may have been a train wreck waiting to happen. Oh so. yeah, the Book of Henry. Oh, yeah. Henry. Terrible yeah. movie. 
awful, almost like barely intelligible. It's like the Star Wars Christmas special. <laughs> um, then after Force Awakens, Return of the Jedi. Uh, below that is Phantom Menace, because there's really nothing exceptional about the film other than just establishing what will be better. And then my, um, I didn't have it originally on my list, but I'm going to have to go with the Christmas special. It's a special, the, it's a special kind of awful. The, the, the next to last. I got to put Rogue One at last. Really? I, it's, it's a completely unnecessary movie. We didn't need to know. So I just want to, I just want to clarify this. You would rather watch. Yes. Minutes. Yes. Minutes of no dialogue, just Wookiee speak back and forth with no subtitles, right. advancing zero plot. You would rather watch It's hilarious. That. It's so enjoyable wow. that I, after like a really bad day at work, I can put on the Star Wars Christmas special and feel better about life. I never want to watch Rogue One ever again. <laughs> and, and, and like, it, it's a better technical movie, of course. Like, no, sure. no, no question. It's not a bad movie, but... I only saw it because, like, oh, it's a new Star Wars movie, and all right, never have to watch that again, you know. You know, the, 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 the that's scene with Darth Vader though was fantastic. Yeah, that really is, that is a great. It, it, great it made scene. me feel good about spending the money on the ticket because had it not been for that scene, I would have been like, I don't know, I wasn't too impressed. But that that's my list. And the seamlessness of of that scene. Now, I will say that the last moment of because we didn't really talk about uh, Rogue One, and I don't think it really warrants a lot of discussion yeah, but boy talk about as as much as the green screen and the cgi in the prequels just really takes me out of the movie sometimes it's like bad video game stuff um carrie fisher at the end of rogue one really takes like people are holding that up as a really great example of yeah. sort of navigating the un, uncanny valley and I, I don't think they were successful at all and i don't think they were that successful with tarkin either that's that's why I, I definitely thought that when I was thinking in the theaters, like, like recast those roles. There's got to be somebody on the planet that looks like those people, yeah. you know. Like, get me close and maybe do a little bit of work. Like, how can they do that with Robert Downey Jr. so successfully in Civil War and not be able to even come close, in my opinion, when it comes to to Rogue One? So. Well, here, here here's the thing: they didn't need to show her face. Like yeah. they, they could have really easily shown Leia in her white garb going down the hall with R2-D2. And you're like, oh, that's Leia. Hey, there, there's your Easter egg. There's the tie-in. They didn't need to see her face digitally you know, transposed. When I first saw it, my initial response was, wow, that's cool. And the more I thought about it, I was like, that's kind of not cool. Like, I, I really don't know it, how I feel about it. It very much is like, look what we can do. And it, it, it kind of it, it felt like, hey, look what we can do even though this – amazing person unfortunately passed it, it, it felt a little bit disrespectful and it, i don't think they intended it to be i think it was just a no as a matter of fact i mean of she it, you know? saw it before she passed yeah and, uh, you know there's been a couple of stories online about that where she was like oh my god i'm looking at myself when i'm, when I'm a teenager that must yeah. be a, a weird experience but you know it takes you out of the movie in such a way that you know you just saw all these guys get massacred yeah it, it, it was completely <laughs> unnecessary. They, they, they could have shown, after Darth Vader killed all the people, they could have shown her running down the hall from the back, you know. And yeah, it would have she been doesn't look very scared. She doesn't look like she's in much of a hurry, mm -hmm. and she really needs to be because we know what's going to happen next, right? right. So, um, Well, that's a pretty good list, you guys. Uh, are you excited for Last Jedi? I am. Super. I am, I'd say I'm very, I think it's mentioned, but I'd probably say, like, Force Awakens is one of my favorite Star Wars movies. 
And um, I, I really love Ryan Johnson. Like, even before um, we saw any of this movie, I was extremely excited um, to know that he was going to be helming um, this massive, um, this installment in, like, such a massive series, and that he can bring his very unique um, voice to it. Um, it's really exciting. And Adam Driver is Kylo Ren. Fantastic casting. Fantastic yeah, uh, villain. Great actor. I love how the, I think his arc's going to really change a lot in The Last Jedi. And I'm, I am I love his character. I but love the I'm, kind of vulnerable. I'm you know. glad you brought him up because we've been talking about poor Hayden here and, and probably the bad directing he got and certainly the bad dialogue he got. But look what Adam has been able to do with yeah. just to show conflict in turmoil, he's a and great actor. He is a great actor. It's really, uh, it's really fun to watch, uh, watch him be this character. Um, for me, I'm really looking forward to seeing the thing that I never thought I would see again, and that is to see Luke Skywalker on screen as an adult, as a person who now, because at the end of Return of the Jedi, you're like, is he a Jedi really? Like, how many years has this been, and how long does it take? He doesn't really have like that commanding presence yet. And just just to see him on the literal, you know, cliffhanger at the end of Force Awakens, um, just just to, just to see yeah. him there, looking like he's had a life, yeah, and experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was really uh, a lot to take in. So to, to to now be prepared to see him advance that story and be become a mentor is really exciting. I'm I'm really looking forward and, to and that. Like you you've you, you've literally grown with that actor. Yeah, you know, like it, it's kind of cool to see like oh this is where both of you are at right now like that where that character is and where you are and you know i mean i think that's the fun thing about movies and it's certainly the thing that makes some movies special to us is that you you can see yourself in different you know characters there and when you're a younger person maybe you identify more with you know if if you want to grow up and try to be cool someday you look at han solo and go oh okay that's the guy or maybe you don't want to be that and you're you're more of just a student of life and you kind of relate to Luke Skywalker and, and everything. That's why I think I, uh, at that point in my life, when I was watching these movies, you guys are considerably younger than me. So maybe you were um, more invested in Anakin's story. Well, I was yeah. more invested in Obi-Wan's story. And when I look at it, yes, it's they call each other brother and stuff too, but I'm really looking at the the failure of, of a father, Yeah, you know, to raise a son, to, to be disappointed uh, with, with how... Uh, uh, someone under your care turns out so opposite of what you've put into them, and you know it's sort of the the goal that you had for them. Yeah. And now, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I mean, I'm, I saw Phantom Menace when I was five. Yeah. Like for context, I was like, I, I looked to Anakin. I, I used to pretend that I was a sure. pod racer. You know. Sure. Like a lot of kids did. I was the same way. Yeah. Um, the the prequels. Whether it was what, weirder for me when I was twenty nine <laughs> to do that, but you know that's okay. Hey, we, we, we don't judge in here, bud. But uh. Actually, one of the most bizarre things uh, when I think about New Hope is uh, in 1977, you could still smoke in theaters. So my first viewing of Star Wars A New Hope was through this giant cloud of cigarette smoke. Um, And it was, you know, it was the summer when that came out. So I want to say it's probably the end of June or July or somewhere when we when we saw that movie. And, uh, and yeah, it was this giant cloud of cigarette smoke kind of hanging on the screen. Mm-hmm. These amazing visuals are, you know, <laughs> presenting themselves to you, and you got to all of a sudden, you know, take a, take a breath and kind of off to the side, cough a little bit because the people next to you are chain smokers. And, and Dolby was still a new technology, so hearing oh, yeah. the power of that, yeah. 
Well, and we haven't even talked about the score, but the power. We don't of need music. to. The, every film yeah. has a great score. There's, you know? the, There's so much we could talk about. Yeah. With Star Wars. We'd be here for three more hours probably. But well, I got time, don't you? <laughs> no, we're good. Yeah, we're, we're probably good. Well, this has been uh, Moving Pictures. I'm your host Brent Gunn. I'm Mitchell Kapalka. Ben, thanks a lot for being on. And I'm Dave Clark. May the force be with you. <laughs> thanks a lot for listening. Thank you.